adjunct that if we're thinking about you no longer running, if we're thinking about you no longer doing the sport of choice, can we keep you active and moving? Can we apply this in such a way that, you know, get you training that, that doesn't aggravate your pain? And is there some benefits from that? Now, if you say, I've been doing all these exercises and suddenly my heels, heels a lot, pain's a lot better. We don't have the evidence to say, oh, it was strength work that did it, but we sort of created a plan that said, well, we taped you, we strapped you, we gave you this strength work, we gave you a guidance on how to keep moving as best you can to try and get the best outcome. We applied these things for these reasons. You seem, you, you got better. Perfect. We created a, a nuanced plan, but we can't then say that everyone who comes in, that's going to work for them. We have to go through that reasoning process for each individual and also that, that consultation process of, well, these are things that work. These are the things that I think would be helpful for you either for your pain or for other reasons. Um, you know, what, what makes sense to you? And then when they go and do it and they say, wow, this, this, these exercises are really, you know, giving, making my pain worse. Well, this is, this is their, their experience. We go, let's change that. You know, what, what evidence, you know, tells us is that, well, you know, strength work isn't, you know, incredibly evidence-based and you're saying it's, it's irritable or it's irritating you. Well, let's, let's pull that back. Ronnie, I've thought of a slightly different way to word this before I get your take on this same thing as well. So rather than talking about the, the, the mechanism of effect of the intervention per se. I really want your, your thoughts on the the philosophy or the, the thinking behind at what point, like Alex says, we're not picking on strength particularly, but we'll, we'll use that as an example. At what point do we say, okay, strength doesn't have much evidence, but I'm going to apply alongside my clinical reasoning clinic. Uh, it, it, at what point do we accept that, but we perhaps don't accept someone saying, okay, the next person who comes in with heel pain, I'm going to, gently pour some horse's urine onto it um you know it has an equal level of evidence per se is it the biological plausibility like where i guess what i'm asking is where's the philosophical line between people doing things that that technically don't have an evidence base and that being accepted and doing things that don't have an evidence base and that being demonstrably pseudoscientific so you could have evidence for something that you don't believe in at all and which probably you shouldn't believe in if there's no plausible mechanism, no plausible scientific uh, explanation for it. For instance, I think it was a um, British medical journal who has this uh, satirical number issue uh, before Christmas. And someone uh, wrote a paper on an RCT that was done on uh, prayers that was working backwards in time. So they took, uh, they took a patient group in a hospital from the 50s or 60s or something. They randomized them and they did a prayer for the test group and they didn't for the control group. And then they checked and they saw that the people they prayed for actually had recovered uh, better. So they published this. And it was done in all the right ways that would normally count as very good evidence. And it was a very good statistical difference maker. So it, it, it did work. Uh, but of course, no one really believes that praying for someone in the past <laughs> uh, would make them recover in the past. So um, why don't we then say, okay, but here's the evidence, you better accept it. I mean, so, so yeah, you can say, oh, yeah, people believe all sorts of bullshit. But yeah, you can, you can prove all sorts of bullshit. <laughs> it's not the problem. So what people started doing was to question the RCT. 
And they said, oh, he didn't randomize uh, properly. It wasn't enough people. And they said, well, actually, it was more people than normally in an RCT. And I did it all according to everything. Uh, so I think that people have and should have more reasons to accept or reject evidence than that there is an RCT uh, being performed. And of course, there's this other satirical paper about why uh, there's no evidence. So there's no evidence because there were no, someone did a meta study, a uh, systematic review over checking whether parachutes um, pr uh, prevent um, injury from uh, fall from tall heights. Uh, and there were no RCTs. So there was no evidence. So he said, it's only anecdotal that we believe that people should wear a parachute. So you shouldn't you should never recommend that as an intervention because we lack the evidence in Norway. So this is not this is not a, a mock example. But in Norway, the Public Health Institute, uh, they have not recommended wearing masks uh, because they said there's no evidence. There's no evidence that they work. But of course, mechanistically, we know how masks work. You know, so why don't we use them? Well, because they wanted to see RCTs. Um, so it just shows, you know, it, it limits so much your causal evidence. And I also remember talking to someone who said, if I saw, I mean, I could see as many RCTs as, as possible showing that homeopathy works. I would never, I would never conclude that it could work because it doesn't have a plausible mechanism. So you, you see my point? It's not about just accepting blindly whatever an RCT could possibly show you. Because an RCT, all it shows you is that between two groups that are supposedly similar, there is a difference in the outcome that is statistically significant. It doesn't say anything about causation. I mean, all it shows is that you have these two different groups. But in each of those groups, you just have correlations. So you compare two sets of correlation data where you have something present and where you don't have it. I mean, if you want to understand causation, you better have a mechanism. You better have a reason to say that this is linked to this. Because otherwise, you have all these spurious correlations that you talked about. Nick, uh, you Nick know, Nick Lewis. <laughs> yeah, new films. I mean, why, why was that funny? I mean, you have the data. You have the evidence. Mm, why, why shouldn't we trust it? So Tyler Vegan, I think that's his. That's uh, it, yeah, that's, it, that's yeah. the website. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's full of these uh, almost perfect correlations and we just laugh. But if those correlations were plausible, we would say that there's so strong evidence. And it's so interesting to hear you say it because in the world of podiatry, at least, um, we've historically been 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 sort of trained to think that the RCT is king, that that, that, that that quantitative data is king. And clearly, you know, when we have these really controlled, standardized groups that with all these exclusion criteria, and then we, we, we do this, uh, you know, we would always favor that as, as a level of evidence above, say, an N equals one qualitative thematic analysis case study. Um, is the answer that we need more of the latter in, in the research world? You know, for example, let's talk about things like foot orthoses, the things we put in people's shoes. Very little qualitative work there, all quantitative. Would we learn more? Is one of the solutions here um, 
to, to, to learn more about causation and understand mechanisms better to do more sort of individual level studies, more qualitative work? Or is it not that simple, uh, Rani? Well, they didn't used to do a lot of RCTs in, in physics or uh, in biology. I mean, this is <laughs> this uh, this epidemiological uh, methodology. I mean, it is fairly new. Uh, it used to be if if you think of uh, if you think of uh, physics, which is where we usually look to when we think of causation and probability. Uh, it's usually done under some kind of normal or ideal conditions, and it's purely theoretical. So the law of gravitational attraction. I mean, it would it works in some ideal. Uh, setting with very closed conditions and then we're out in the real messy world and and none of the laws really apply so simply uh, in the clinic we know that everyone's different but we still try to find these law like under some ideal conditions things that we can implement to each and every one and and i would say that kind of goes against even the scientific ideal that we're we're trying to match it you know because we know that uh, we know that the real life complexity that you cannot just automatically predict what's going to happen based on what happens under the ideal conditions and in biology as well what happens in the lab is not what happens out in the real world what you do in molecular biology and in ecology are quite different uh, kinds of models that you use even to understand in ecology you have to think of the whole context because it is an open system and what one thing that we say in co self is that if we want to be biomedical in our in our thinking well why why should we learn from ecology instead of molecular biology why shouldn't we learn from something where you have nonlinear uh, processes in open systems and some kind of unpredictability uh, you know, or where everything is extremely sensitive to contextual uh, differences. So if you, if you think of a human as an ecosystem, we know that there are going to be more influences than just what's here and now or one factor and one intervention. It's going to be like whatever you change in that context might influence something. So, and that might be a good thing because it means that there's more than one ways to, one way to, to enter intervene and uh, it's more than one explanation um, so yeah that that kind of gives you the complexity and it also gives you the kind of context sensitivity that we are very keen to emphasize and once you have this kind of open system and vast complexity you wouldn't assume that what happens in one case could ever be repeated in exactly the same way and that's also why with the RCTs, it's not like you have ideal conditions, but you kind of you use the randomizations to get sufficiently equal settings. But actually, what you're having is a whole bunch of unique settings and a whole bunch of unique responses. And then you average them out and you look at the statistical difference. Because you might think if something works, it makes a difference to you. But in the RCT, you're not showing that it makes a difference to the individual. You shows that it makes a difference on the statistical level. So what happens to each and every one is not what it shows. And, 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 and that's two different concepts of difference making in, in the philosophy of causation. You know? Lovely.
So I know Craig. I can see Craig fidgeting, and that's because we've. That's you know, I've actually. We've, I, we've just hit well, the actually, hour. I'm, I'm happy just to go a little bit over. We, we might just have to go to two well, parts. Well, I was. But, I was actually saying. I was just actually thinking that if anyone is watching live, I don't know if they've got any questions, Craig, but uh, probably not because um, yeah. they probably like me just feel like they need a bit of a lie down. At this point, I wanted to make sure everyone was aware that. Um, the, the, the best thing to do if you want more on this and Craig's put the links below is to uh, get download the free cause health uh, book, the free ebook and get yourself onto uh, Dr. Oliver Thompson's words matter podcast. And essentially for every chapter of the book, there is an episode of the podcast. And certainly the way I did it was I read the chapter. I listened to the podcast associated with that chapter on my run that day. And then I read the chapter again and then I moved on to chapter two. Now I'm not saying I understand it as my, uh, below average questions here uh, will uh, are evidence of, um, but Oliver Thompson is far more intelligent than me, so he asks far better questions than me. So I, I really encourage people if they want more to to get over to the links that Craig's linked below. Also, link on uh, a link to, to Alex's Podiatry Systems Education website, which I highly recommend. Um, and there's loads of stuff on there alongside Cause Health. I believe I'm right in saying, Alex, that is free as well. Not all of the stuff on there is free, but I think the Cause Health module is free. Is that right? Yes. So I, I would say if you if you're not if you're sort of not sure the the what we've what our, our sort of free sort of uh, course with Cause Health is kind of the the Oliver Thompson light. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it, that makes me today. Then the, the light, light, maybe. <laughs> well, it, it's it's all it's all about it's it's all just about how much we introduce and and how clinically relevant we make it as well. I mean, Oliver Thompson does a does a fantastic podcast where really really dives deep, really really understands things conceptually. Um, but there is a little bit more of a leap to to the clinic where we're, we're trying to to make it really really clinically relevant. Everything that we say is 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 something that you can do. Yeah, and I've watched that, and it's very podiatry-focused uh, with Alex being a podiatrist, so I highly recommend it. Um, Craig, any questions, or, or is it time for us all no, to No, I haven't, but, no, but I, 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 do have, I do have one question now. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with anything, anything that's being said, but... Um, oh, he always does. Look, the, 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 now, this is not me talking. This is what other people would probably say. Um, the the I, I, what, what I... What, I fear is that people will use this kind of information to dismiss the results of a study that goes against their preconceived biases. You know, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing and they're going to use all this information to dismiss the results of the study. And and that's a fear I have that, that, and this is a tactic we've seen since day one. So I just wonder how you'd respond to those kinds of, um, uses of this information to to justify preconceived biases because they don't like the results of a particular study um, that might prove what they're doing is wrong. What you believe has has no impact on on science is always the, the thing that I always think of. It, that um, oh, I've forgotten the, the the physicist's name. The the who said that, but yeah, science doesn't care. And so just because you don't agree with the result doesn't mean it doesn't exist. What we're sort of saying is, is we're, we're just encouraging people to think better and say, well, how does this fit? How does this result fit within what happens? So if someone's disagreeing with the result and saying that's not real or that's not true, it's kind of missed. It's completely missed the point, um, which is, it's more about figuring out how this is true and why this is why this is true, and thinking through. Okay, so who, what population it is? What's the mechanism? 
because at the end of the day, if someone wants to argue that, well, you know, foot orthotics don't work for, for, for heel pain, well, we've done an RCT that says that they, they do. What we don't see is who they work for. So if you're in a population and you're saying, in my clinical experience, they don't work. And we say, well, we can understand that. We can actually say, yeah, you know, there is a whole bunch of people this doesn't work for, and you're probably seeing a whole bunch of them. But we've got to understand that over here, there's a whole bunch of people who are getting better. So we need to understand that difference more, understand why why that's the case. So I mean, people are always going to disagree, and I don't think there is actually one system of saying, you know, this is a verifiable claim, this is not a verifiable claim. The whole idea is we're saying that there's different ways to think about it. And I think what we're seeing where people go, but I'm seeing a result and the evidence doesn't show it, is really actually why I think cause health and these ideas are are, are much more um, needed because, you know, people have had experiences, are having experiences where the RCT says this should work and in their reality, they're seeing it's not work and they're left by themselves going, well, what do we do next? Because if I want to be evidence-based, I have to do it. You know, I have to do what this study says and this, and I've done what this study says and it doesn't work. Where do I go? And so I think where Cause Health sort of fits is sort of saying, you know, and these sort of ideas is if we understand what we're doing, why we're understanding mechanisms and we're understanding that, um, you know, there isn't just one cause and effect. There isn't just one answer and the answer he's going to give it. We've got this freedom, but we've still got this limitation of, you know, biological plausibility. We've still got this limitation of, well, the, the studies have shown this. We understand where there's freedom um, and where we are helping patients make it, make a decision. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking sort of in terms of um, if we're deciding whether to do um, like, let's say, for example, laser or not on, on someone's condition, whether it's a, it can be effective anecdotally, but then if we look at an RCT and someone's done a um, RCT and it says, well, there's no difference between the placebo and the, the, the actual um, laser treatment, we sort of go, well, there, there's not a, we're not seeing any difference, we're not seeing anything happen. So, if we see it work in the clinic, what's the likelihood that it's um, actually doing something that's different? Well, it's probably there's not enough there to support it. But if we've got a, um, you know, RCT for taping, for um, foot orthotics, for other things, and it's effective, we can probably say, well, you know, we can we can do this a bit more. Who does it work for, though? We, we shouldn't be doing carte blanche. Everyone, we should be trying to figure out and, and get that, figure out who is it is, is going to benefit most from it, but also understand that not everyone needs it to get better either. So it's that more nuanced, but people can argue for anything. It's just whether it can be dismissed easily or not. Yeah, and also there's not just one single uh, scientific method. There are many different methods, but in evidence-based medicine, there's it's, it's almost uh, like we pretend there is only one valid uh, type of method. And uh, what we're trying to say is that the different methods show different things. It's not, I mean, ideally, you could do the same kind of intervention study with lots of different methods, and they would all point in the same direction. But they wouldn't because uh, sometimes uh, you can find something that makes a difference statistically, but uh, maybe you don't find 
um, that there's very clear, maybe you have something that makes a difference for an individual, but there is no correlation studies to back it up, for instance. Maybe sometimes you have a plausible mechanism, but no RCT will back it. So you have to know which kind of, which kind of method do you trust more. But if you can be more transparent about what the methods are capable of showing you, uh, that would be better because then you could say, okay, so there is no evidence of a mechanism, but we have statistical evidence that seems to give us a correlation or there seems to be a statistical difference maker. Uh, then we might be able to weigh and think, okay, actually I got quite a plausible mechanistic understanding and I know that they couldn't do an RCT easily with this kind of inter with this kind of intervention. So um, I have some reason to do it like this. But we 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 have a scientific community. It's not like the individual who decides what is scientific. Uh, it's the community that decides. What has been frustrating, I think, is that uh, there's a lot of interventions that the community claims work, but then once you say that. The only thing that works is what can be proven by an RCT and has actually been proven by an RCT. Then suddenly a lot of interventions don't seem to work, but they work in the clinic. So, so are you going to dismiss them? Uh, so, for instance, in psychotherapy, uh, when they when they look at RCTs and they test, you know, psychological intervention, so therapy as if it was a pill um, with an RCT, then it seems like only cognitive behavioral therapy works and nothing else. So then they say, okay, everyone has to use cognitive behavioral therapy on all patients because it's the only thing that works. But as a community, they don't agree. So, so that's the frustration that you have like one kind of standard that should fit everything um, while you might have. And it's the same thing if, you are, if you're a teacher in the school and someone decides that everyone should use the same teaching method on all students and they should use that teaching method that works in average for most and then you put everyone in front of a screen uh, to work with their ipad which they do in norway and as a teacher you might say well for this for this student it doesn't work because it's very hard for them to sit and stare at the screen all day you know and you have reasons to say that but actually it's like no no you have no evidence to show that mm but you have a full understanding because you're trained as a teaching and educator. So, so it's just about saying that the profession as a whole, they have knowledge that cannot necessarily be backed up with statistics. And I would say that that kind of knowledge that you get from clinical experience and from your, from your science education, because you have a science education, which is not just counting stuff. Uh, that, that is knowledge. That is causal knowledge. And it should count as it. And it's nice if it's backed up by some statistical evidence. Um, and it's nice to be informed by the statistical evidence. But it shouldn't be like only one of these things get all of the say. So there's a lot of individualization there. And I think, you know, a really difficult one whenever I look at studies doing like, for example, a strength intervention, we run into the same thing that, you know, if you've got, 100, 200 people and you're giving them the exact same exercise in the exact same dose, um, exact same or intensity. Um, it's, it's hard because you, you know, when we do an ex exercise intervention, we're going to individualize it for their sport, for their activity, what they want to do, what they want to get out of, what they're capable of, what their history is. Um, you know, you're not going to give an 80 year old a standing calf raise on the edge of a block 
and get them to do 15 reps. Um, but at the same time, I'm also not going to give a 22-year-old elite marathon runner, you know, three sets of 10 in exactly the same setup. They they need different things. And that's something that can't be captured in an RCT because we have to homogenize the, the treatment to to make it the same for everyone, to make it applicable, to make it prone to less bias. And so we can sort of say, and, and, and this is, you know, what, what I look at when I'm, when I'm training people as well as where I'm applying strength work to their, their treatment. Cause we're sort of going, I'm individualizing this for this person, for what they want to get out of it. And that's based upon my knowledge, the biological plausibility, applying all these studies that say, you know, if we want to get this person better, we have to progressively overload their capability. So what they currently do, we've got to push it by X amount beyond that. And then they're going to adapt. Um, and that's how we're going to get them better. Um, so we can sort of understand that and we can apply that and go, well, there's not a lot of evidence for, 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 for how people get stronger and what that, what that effect is, but we can still apply it individually. Uh, it's just about being careful in terms of the causal, what causal relationship we say that if I get you stronger, you'll be better. Cause we don't see that. We see people who are very strong, get, get, get in pain and injury. We see people who are, um, you know, don't have much strength, not get pain or injury. Um, it's, it's not, it's not, it's just about being careful with our thinking and what we're getting and being very um, judicious in terms of the reasoning why we're explain what, why we're applying that as well. And, you know, so the reasoning that, that I'll add it for a lot of people is that if you want to play sport, you want to get better, you know, and you're not currently playing, we need to add this. We need to do this. Is this, will this help your pain? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. And that's why we're going to apply it. And that's why we're going to individualize it. Um, but it's, it, it's not sort of saying, Hey, you know, we've got this person who's come off the field and we've given them a whole bunch of strength work and they're just, they're perfect. Now they've gotten completely better than it must've been the strength work. It might've been the fact that they weren't on the field. They might've been not playing for a period of time and, um, the strength work just maintained their, their capability. There's all these sort of other explanations and you know, where we get to is sort of not saying, you know, this was the reason why it's just about thinking. We can say, well, we can do this. We can, we've logically think this through. This is the, the best plan that we've got based on the evidence. This is what the patient agrees with. This is how we're going to approach this problem. Let's see the outcome. And then we go, that was a good outcome, but we're, we might not always be able to say that's what it is. And I think that's where we start to get into trouble is when we have them, people get up and say, well, I've strength trained everyone with heel pain and they all got better and it's like there's so much more nuance there and when we don't accept the nuance and i think that's always going to be the critique going back to to craig your critique that's always going to be the thing is that there's if we're following this process there's always going to be able to critique okay so what's the mechanism what's the this what what how does this all fit together and we can very easily dismantle those arguments using the exact same tool that people are saying that allows them to make that argument in the first place I've got one last question, if I may, Craig, if that's right, um, before, before we go. Um, and it, it might be might be a bit of a stinker, Rani, but I asked you earlier, um, can we ever truly know the cause of, of something and do we need to? Just to sort of slightly flip that question around, it, does everything have a cause? Um, and we, we, we think of, I think of the chapter in your book, uh, one of your books and uh, the Cause Health one, and I think of this, this, the, the podcast I listened to about sort of, idiopathic or medically unexplained symptoms you know in in medicine we sometimes say to people uh, you know there's no reason why you're doing this you know you've got something we can't explain it medically but is it the case that some things 
can't have a cause or does everything have a cause and that just means we we don't know what that cause is so it depends on the definition of the cause uh which is uh the point of that uh, because we have a chapter uh called um when a cause cannot be found and uh and, and this was the this was the starting point for cause health was that uh, we started with these uh, so-called medically unexplained symptoms, which is like 30 to 50 uh, percent of all the complaints taken to the doctor cannot um, they haven't found the cause. And then we thought, okay, so what does it mean that they haven't found the cause? Does it mean that it's caused by nothing? Because in philosophy, that's almost absurd to say that something happens, but not because of anything. And and what it meant was that they cannot statistically back up that the same thing has happened to enough people in a group that you could say that you have same cause, same effect. So for instance, then low back pain, uh, non-specific low back pain came up. Uh, because some people might get low back pain from lifting something or bending down. But there's no uh, RCT showing that when people bend down or lift something up, they get chronic back pain. So everyone seems to have different types of causes. And according to one definition of a cause, uh, which is the one that we we use in uh, in evidence-based medicine, where you should have same cause, same effect over same conditions, if you cannot find the same cause, if you cannot repeat something and see the same thing happening, then you cannot say that it's causal. But of course, in, uh, in, uh, in, in the way that we think about it, we would say that uh, any kind of effect is a manifestation of some properties interacting. So those properties must have been there. But if those properties were unique, so for instance, if someone gets a very rare side effect from a medicine, uh, because they have a very rare genetic setup or a very rare genetic condition. It shouldn't depend on someone else having exactly that kind of genetic setup or genetic condition, whether that could be caused. But when it comes to what we can know, we would say, how could we ever know that this caused the side effect in this case if we don't have any other evidence? So that's the difference you see between was it caused and how can we know that it was caused by exactly this? So in evidence-based medicine, if you cannot know it because you cannot count it by repetitions, then it does not count as a cause. But from a dispositionalist perspective, we would say clearly they had some properties that were unique. We don't necessarily know what those properties are, but it's something we can try to find out. Um, so yeah, in, in philosophy, uh, you would say that everything normally you would say everything uh, that happens would have a cause some people would say this is like a basic uh basic claim except for god who is supposed to be the uh the first cause but yeah but uh, david hume he said that the, the creation of the universe if it happened only once it cannot have been caused because then we would have had to see repetitions it would have to happen many times so we could see if it's the same thing happened again. Perfect. So before we go, could I could I ask you both to um, perhaps give some recommendations to our listeners, if indeed we still have any? <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know how many people have dialed in. Oh, no, there's still still quite a few there. <laughs> well, that's that's lovely. Uh, I'm glad it's not just me that finds this 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 kind of stuff equally fascinating and intimidating. And I think that's a, a, a good place to hang out sometimes. Um, what are your recommendations? I guess 
Randy from a from a from a scientific research, a philosophical point of view, and, and Alex from a clinician point of view. What are your what are your recommendations to our listeners that this may be completely new to this evening? Where do where do they take this information they've just listened to? The thoughts that they may have spiraling around their head when when they um when they're lying in bed tonight. Where where, where do they go with this? Other than obviously. The, the resources that we've signposted what what would you say i'll start with you alex um to the clinicians out there that may be just going okay okay I, i've got an, i've got a full list starting 9 a.m tomorrow morning um does this change my practice tomorrow i i think the the biggest thing is is freedom and and, and i say that um wearingly knowing exactly what what craig said because that that is the criticism but it if all, all of if we're taking these sort of ideas, we understand that immediately we don't if we don't have one cause one effect, that people can get a condition by many different ways as well as get better many different ways. It gives us the freedom to be able to say, well, we've got these options. We've got a number of different things that we can do, and that when we talk with a patient, it's about figuring out what's going to work best for them. So we've got you know, for, for any sort of condition where we're going to have a number of different things that we can do. And it's not about figuring out what's the best overall. It's what's figuring out what's best from the patient. So that'd be number one. Number two, the patient is the source of information. And if we're viewing our role as always providing the right answer, um, we're going to be setting ourselves up for failure. So the big thing I think is going to then be saying, well, if we take a more nuanced approach and say to pay and, and, explain what we know, explain what we don't know to patients. We set them up and we set their expectations correctly. We can start to apply treatments. And when they come back and say, this didn't work or this worked in this way, that's information that's relevant to us. And we can take that in and we can say, let's make sense of this. And then we can find the results. So the the answer is always going to be a, more of a back and forth between us and the patient than it is providing the answers. And that's incredibly freeing as well. When all of a sudden you don't have to know everything, you just have to be the, the person that guides someone through their treatments, I think would be a big one. When we're reading research, try and understand the mechanisms, read about, you know, who's getting the, 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 the treatment, what exactly the treatment is, and think about it a little bit more in terms of mechanisms and understanding the population and who it applies to is another one. So then we can have a more nuanced understanding of, well, you know, do I just give an orthotic for heel pain or is, am I giving an orthotic for heel pain in this type of population with this type of thing? And, um, I think probably the, 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 the practical example, you know, and I'm reading this in, in a few studies, like with patellofemoral um, pain is that you can trial things and you can, do things in the clinic and this sort of probably links more to point two, like for example, you know, if, if you're not sure if someone's going to get an orthotic in patellofemoral pain, there's a study that says put tape on them and get them to do a single leg squat. Does that help their pain or not? And I think we get too wrapped up in, in looking for an answer um, straight away or, or being the person that has the answer straight away that looks at it and says, yes, rather than being someone who says, well, I'm not, this is what I'm not sure about. Let's try and test it. And I think that's starting to come out. Um, now in some of these studies in in picking who might might benefit from our from our treatments and who doesn't so yeah that that would be uh, my, my advice and I think that that can be applied from tomorrow it doesn't mean that it has to be you you're blowing everything out it just means you know st- uh, straight away start small start thinking about why am I applying this treatment you know is what what's the mechanism we think it's working in is that relevant to this person what is their result? start start thinking about it slowly and i think you know we'll find very quickly 
you'll start to make realizations um, quite quickly. Yeah, I love it. Basically, embrace the complexity and be transparent and read. Was it, I think it was Matt Lowe's episode or chapter about shared decision making and things. Um, so, yeah, I love that stuff. Uh, Ronnie, um, we, you've done a, a beautiful job of basically serving up philosophy to an audience of clinicians and podiatrists. Uh, we sort of tricked people into listening to philosophy. Now, if, what, would your, what would your sort of um, recommendations be for people who want, want more, um, but want more as it applies to healthcare, which I know is your, your specialist area anyway? Um, so, of course, um, look at our webpage, callshealth.org. Uh, we have uh, we have started like we did with uh, Alex to make a lot of uh, different resources, educational resources. And um, uh, I was going to answer the first question because what would you do tomorrow? I mean, we we have T-shirts with slogans, so we boiled the whole cause health uh, idea down to one slogan: one size does not fit all. So the whole point is that. Is the right thing to do the same thing to everyone, although everyone is different? Or is the fact that everyone is different, does that mean that they would require different interventions? Because you have to think of what is already there before you add something. And because you have to understand what is your treatment doing? How does it work? For who does it work? And who is that person you have in front of you? So the one size does not fit all. We also have the T-shirt that is one of my favorite, but not everyone's favorite, which is statistics don't get me. So statistics <laughs> don't get me. So we have to remember that statistics get the average, but not necessarily the person in front of you. So it also means uh, on the back of all of our T-shirts, it says N equals one. So there's like the uniqueness that everyone is unique. And given that, it means that... Um, the best you can do is understand how things work and why things work and try to work around uh, the causal knowledge from there. So most people who work in philosophy of causation, they're going to say you need both the kind of statistical evidence and the mechanistic evidence. I can I can be happy with that. But I, I would say if you, if you really understand what you're doing, like with the parachutes and the falling, you don't really want to do an RCT Um to harm a lot of people but yeah uh, if you have the arse it's fine i'm going to be happy and can we buy those t-shirts because i assure you if we can you'll see me wearing one in our next episode of podchat live i think we <laughs> dumped all of the t-shirts now on uh, roger carey we have a word cloud t-shirt that i have more of where we have uh, where we had a conference called the guidelines challenge and we had the word cloud for everything that the guidelines cannot capture which was things like uniqueness and mechanisms, complexity, uh, individual variations, yeah, stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm, I have some of those in my Sounds office. like I might need to uh, schmooze Roger on Twitter. So I'm not adverse to him, yeah. so I'll slide into his, <laughs> slide into his DMs. Um, Craig, anything else you wanted to say no, before that, we wrap up? Think, I think that's a good note to finish on. So, look, just for a finish, I, I don't know whether the others have noticed that the light outside Alex's window is actually getting lighter. <laughs> um, the, 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 the sun's coming up. So I just quickly Googled um, where Rani is, and I, I see the sunset about 15 minutes ago, but the light out your window is still there. I mean, it must be a street light or something, is it? <laughs> no, no, this is uh, this is Norway, and it gets dark very uh, late in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, look, look, thanks so much, Alex, for getting up so early, and thanks so much, Rani, for staying up so late. Um, yeah, yeah, this is my bedtime. Been- 
it's been an hour and a half. It's 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 gone quickly. So for those who have just joined, it's been an hour and a half. Um, later on today, Australian time, it'll be up on YouTube. The podcast version will have to be cut into two parts. So that that'll be there later on today. So so thanks so much, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for no having problem. us.